0: the Lord be with you. My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have some times in my life when I feel like the Lord is really with me. You ever have times like that? And then I have some times in my life when I feel like the Lord is not with me. You ever have times like that? We're going to look at what that might be about in a little bit, but first I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and look at our Scripture reading for this morning. We'd like to encourage everyone to read along, and it's really great if you have your own Bible to do this. But if you don't, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, or you can uh, with, with the Wi-Fi you can log in and open up a Bible app or something on your phone or, or, or tablet. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter five today. So we're in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter five, starting with verse 27. So if you'd look that up right now, Luke 5:27. This passage follows up right where we left off last week where Jesus was just starting to call disciples and we saw a little bit about what discipleship looks like. And here's an example of him calling another disciple starting Luke 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus answered them, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have come not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance." This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I'm curious how many people here have ever made a list of the things that annoy you. Have you ever done that, a list? Just get up today, and I'm going to start listing all the things. If you have not, I highly recommend that you go on the internet and Google list of things that annoy, because a lot of people have done this. There's all kinds of lists out there. And uh, some have listed 10 things, 20 things, 50. Some have listed 100 annoying things. And some of them are really sweeping lists, like uh, the 100 most annoying things in the world, things like that. I collected from these lists 20 things that can be somewhat annoying. Uh, Number one, your computer freezes. Slow Wi-Fi, slow drivers, slow walkers, people who take up two parking spaces. Finicky self-checkout machines. You ever have one of those? You're trying to check yourself out in a hurry. Finicky paper towel dispensers. This is one of my personal annoyance. <laughs> trying to get that paper to come out of there. You ever have that? Okay, number eight, mosquitoes. Number nine, Justin Bieber. <laughs> People who don't use turn signals, potholes, barking dogs, hangnails, screaming kids in restaurants... Shopping carts with bad wheels. That's a big one. Binder rings that don't line up. Does that bug anybody else? Oh, my gosh, that's annoying. Air-filled potato chip bags. It is. You go, yeah, big bag of chips, half empty. Forgetting your password, taxes, traffic cameras, and the last one, number 21, lists that end on odd numbers somebody's annoyance so I don't want to end on odd number I got three more but they're in picture form here's one of them anybody ever be annoyed by that you see what it is yeah when your soup falls in when your spoon falls in your soup that's annoying okay here's another one that is a universal annoyance when you can't get a new uh, roll of tape started or when you do get a roll of tape started and it immediately goes back down and you have to start it again Okay, and then the ultimate annoyance, this last image. <laughs> okay. Do you know who I blame for all these annoyances for bad shopping cart wheels and tape that doesn't dispense? You know who I blame for that? Adam and Eve. Okay, and this is the point of the whole sermon today. We blame Adam and Eve for these annoyances because God created two people. He put them in paradise and said, you can do anything you want. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but that one. And what did they do? They ate from that tree. And that's why we have hangnails and that's why we have annoyances in life. It all came from them. They lived in a world with no annoyances, and because of them, we now live in a world of annoyances. I did find it fascinating that when I was going through a lot of these different lists of annoyances, even the list of a hundred most annoying things in the world, nobody listed these kinds of annoyances. Nobody listed slavery, poverty, hunger, drug abuse, unemployment, Spread of infectious diseases, lack of clean water, refugee crises, war, terrorism, political instability, infant mortality, genocide. Nobody listed any annoyances like that, which made me think that we who make these kinds of lists are probably a little bit spoiled. But it reinforced my main point, that all the annoyances that we have in the world can be blamed on Adam and Eve and everyone who's come since them. We have these annoyances Because of sin. And Jeremy tipped my hand and really made the whole sermon to the kids. We have sin, and because we have sin, we suffer. And you could call it sickness. Sin, sickness. It came into the world. And I would lump all annoyances and all problems together, whether it's hurricanes or abuse or hunger or greed or gossip, or addiction, or divorce, or pride, or crime, or drought, all the annoyances, all the problems you can find in the world, I'm going to lump under that one category of sin, sickness. We live in a world that's broken, and we have consequences because of that, and everybody experiences that. In fact, the Bible makes this a pretty universal, pretty universal statement that since Adam and Eve, everyone has been impacted by sin. And it makes it in real clear, blunt statements like this from Romans 3.23, all have sinned. That's it. All have sinned. Everyone deals with sin sickness. And then a few verses after that in Romans we read, and the wages of sin is death. There's consequences to sin. The sin sickness can annoy us, but ultimately it can kill us. All have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Now, this is one biblical teaching that I think is really easy to demonstrate and actually is fairly universal, even among people who are not Christians, even people who are not really Bible believing people. They look at the world, read the headlines, watch the news, look at our own heart, and what do we realize? All have sinned, and sin has consequences. Sin creates sin sickness. Nobody is perfect, and if we're honest, we all know it. We live in what one poet described as a sin-sick and sorrow-worn world. Don't those two things go together? Sin sickness and sorrow-worn. When we don't feel well physically, we want to head to bed, sleep it off. When we live in a sin-sick world, It just wears us out. Life would be so much better, wouldn't it? If we could go back to the garden and be back in paradise. A perfect world. No annoyances. No sin sickness. No weariness. Do you think there's a way to get back to that? I want you to listen to this and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Well, when the Pharisees saw this, they said, Who is this man? If he were a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon said, Tell me. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, And the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and her great, just as her great love has demonstrated. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus turned to her and said, Your sins are forgiven. Jesus looks at this sin-sick and sorrow-worn person and says, there is a way back. There is a way back to paradise. There is forgiveness and it comes free and I give it to you. This passage tells us how Jesus looks at sinners and how Jesus looks at Reaching out to them. Jesus looks at sinners with love. And he reaches out to them with love and compassion. And he extends to them forgiveness. The Bible actually tells us that the whole world is in this kind of constant state of longing. Kind of groaning. Waiting to get back to paradise. Waiting for everything that is wrong to be fixed. Waiting for all sin to be forgiven. The world is in this constant state of anticipation, groaning, and it's frustrated as it's waiting because it's longing for that day so badly it wants it to come today. The Bible says all creation is frustrated with sin sickness. When Jesus offers forgiveness, he says, there's a way out. There's a way out of your sin, there's a way out of the sin sickness, and there's a way back to paradise. Jesus offers forgiveness to those, not just who are, you know, good upstanding people, upstanding citizens, those who are moral, those who are obedient, those who are following, those who have good credentials. Jesus offers forgiveness to those who are considered to be abject failures, and outcasts, those who are sinners and tax collectors. Jesus offers forgiveness to those who really need to receive forgiveness. And he does that because he loves them. Which is kind of interesting. There's a, just maybe a little bit of an aside on this. The Bible tells us if we want to see what God is really like, we should look at Jesus. Some people have kind of a distinction between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And they think, well, God kind of softened up when Jesus came. But if we really want to see God's character, we look to Jesus and we see this love that Jesus had for sinners and it was constantly poured out. This isn't new news. And I was thinking about Jonah the prophet this week. And if you remember Jonah's story, God said, hey, there's a sin sick people that live over in Nineveh. I want you to go over there and I want you to preach to them. I want you to tell them about God's love. And, and, and you remember what Jonah did, right? He says, if Nineveh's over there, I'm going as far away from them as I can because I don't want to deal with their sin sickness. He runs away, gets on a boat, gets thrown overboard, gets swallowed by a fish, gets spit up on a beach. Finally, he decides, oh, okay, I guess I better go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh. He begins to preach, and you know what happens? The people repent. And you know what God does? God showers his love upon them. This is what God does. And, and Jonah's reaction is just classic to this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. It seemed wrong to Jonah that God would love these people. It seemed wrong to Jonah that God would forgive them. And so Jonah became very angry, and this was Jonah's prayer. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall my fleeing to Tarshish. This is what he says. I knew you were this kind of God. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, I know what kind of God you are. Your God is filled with love and grace and compassion and goodness and mercy and you're going to shower forgiveness down upon these people. That's why I didn't want to come. Jesus loves the sin sick. And why? Because he sees what they need. Luke 5, 31 to 32, this one that's on the screen here. Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you look at this verse carefully, I think it tells us exactly how Jesus looks at sinners. Jesus looks at them and he says, they're sick. They need a healing. They need forgiveness. They need a physician who will come alongside of them. They need someone who will hear heal their sin sick souls that's what they need and that's what Jesus comes to do when Jesus saw the sick and hurting the sinner the outcast his reaction was always the same love and compassion matthew 9:36 when Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd matthew 14:14 14, 14. when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and he healed their sick Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and they were healed. This is at the very core of Jesus. And it's a picture of who God is, a picture of God's character, a God of love and compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is God. I saw somebody this week at a, out at a restaurant I was watching somebody sitting a few booths over, and this woman was wearing a scarf, and I noticed that underneath the scarf, she was bald. And I made kind of an assumption by looking at her. She looked tired, and she looked worn. I figured she has cancer, and she's getting some kind of treatment right now. And you know what my reaction was when I saw this woman? Sad. And I thought, she needs healing. Later that day, I had a conversation with someone on the phone, and I was chatting with this guy, and he was kind of whining to me and complaining about feeling sick and tired physically. He has all kinds of pains. And he hasn't been sleeping, and the pain seems to be getting worse, and he says, I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And a lot of it's kind of just old, and I've said this to a number of you, that we all know growing old is not for sissies, right? And what did I, when I hung up this phone, I'm thinking about this man in pain. What do I think? I feel so sad. I'm filled with compassion, and I think this guy needs help. He needs healing. He needs to be touched. I have this reaction when I go to the hospitals, when I visit people, when I see anybody who's sick or hurting. My reaction is I feel pain. I feel their pain. I feel compassion. I have empathy and sympathy and all that. And I want them to be well. And it's a good thing that I'm wired like this, because if I wasn't wired like this, then you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. You probably would have fired me a long time ago. That guy doesn't love people. Because when you see hurting people, you hurt, right? Now, this is where the confession, true confession time comes in. Sometimes when I see a person who is suffering because of a consequence of a bad choice they've made, or see somebody who's suffering because they're a sinner, sometimes they're even a notorious sinner, they're dealing with an addiction or something that's got its hooks in them, I look at them, and you know what I think? They got it coming. They deserve this. They've lived a bad life. They've made bad choices. They're sinful. They should suffer a little consequence. That's what I think. And sometimes, if I run across somebody who's like a notorious sinner, and they're not suffering, then I feel like the remember the disciples when they were walking around the the road with Jesus, and they saw this other guy preaching. Hey, God, would you like me to call fire down upon this guy? When I see notorious sinners who seem to be prospering, I think maybe God wants me to be the instrument of judgment on them, and maybe we could bring them a little suffering and pain because they're sinful, they're sinners, and that's bad, and they should pay for it. This is how I think sometimes. And I have to apologize to you because I'm sorry that I think that way because that's not how Jesus thinks. When I'm looking at sinners with the eyes of Jesus, what I see is that every time Jesus sees a sinner, he has compassion on them. He loves them. And he offers them forgiveness. What he wants is he doesn't want more judgment. He wants a world that's free from sin sickness. That's what he wants. And I'm so thankful that Jesus loves sin sick and wants a world free from sin sickness because that means he can love me because I also am a sinner and I am plagued with consequences because of my sin. I'm sin sick. The realization that Jesus wants to save the whole world from sin sickness has caused me to look at reaching out in a whole new way. I used to look at reaching out to sin Sinful people are reaching out to lost people with only part of the story. I would start telling the story from the fall. You remember the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve, having been placed in this paradise, eat from the forbidden tree, and they immediately fall and become sin, and sin has entered into the whole world because of that. I used to start my story... reaching out to people like that and so because of the fall there needs to be repentance and if there's not repentance follow the story of scripture up to about revelation chapter 20 and you see the way the story ends judgment satan gets thrown into the lake of fire and judgment comes down upon all that's evil and wicked and that was kind of my story of outreach you're sinner you need to repent because if you don't repent there's judgment but it seems like that's not a very good news story is it And it seems like it's missed a couple things. First of all, it's missed Genesis 1 and 2 that there was a paradise and that God longs to return us to paradise, that God longs to restore all that is broken, to fix every sin, to forgive every sinner, so that there is paradise once again. And we know that because when we get to the last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, we see that there is a paradise where all of God's people join, people from every language, tongue, nation, and tribe. They gather together with Christ for a great feast, and that's paradise again. So now when I tell the story of reaching out, I I feel like I want to give the whole story, that it's not a story primarily about judgment. It's a story primarily about paradise and God's love and compassion wanting to bring us all there. Then I came across this interesting quote from Andy Crouch. I think they have this one on the screen, too, if you want to put that up there. He, he really got me thinking about this. He says, a story that begins in sin and ends in judgment doesn't just fail to be good news, it isn't news at all. And he, the reason that is is because we kind of all know the world's broken, right? We already know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. The Bible story is a story of good news, both good and news, both unexpected and unexpectedly hopeful because it's a, a story about God's love and compassion coming to the sin sick. Those who we might feel are least deserving to receive it, they receive it. And this is good news. It's good news for us and it's good news for the whole world. So in keeping with this whole story, it changes my view of outreach. Outreach then becomes not something where I have to remind everybody of their sin and their sin sickness and warn them about judgment, but I have to remind them of God's plan to restore to wholeness, to return to paradise, to fix brokenness, to forgive sins. This is God's plan. And when I offer that, the main message is, Because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That's the message. And then these words that I read in Scripture kind of take a whole new tone for me. They sound like outreach words. Um, And this is from Luke chapter um, 6. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Does that sound like a good outreach strategy? Love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Every sinner does that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High God, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked and merciful. So be merciful just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. And this is the picture of God throughout Scripture. God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So He loves the sin-sick. And he wants to heal the world of sin sickness. And he's calling us to do the same thing. Now, as I was thinking about this message, what it did to me was it recognized in my own heart a need for some real reorienting myself. And so I want to end this time with a, a prayer time that maybe could help us all do a little reorienting of our hearts. And we're going to use the song um, that we've used a few times in the last couple of weeks called Boldly I Approach. Leah's going to sing the the first verse for us and listen to the words of this and listen to the invitation that's in these words of a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and he wants sinners and sin-sick people to come to him. And then we'll sing the chorus together a few times and I'll stick some verses in here. When we get to the chorus, if you know it, I invite you to sing along and use this as a prayer to reorient our hearts to reach out to those who are sin-sick around us. So let's pray.
1: i some
0: Praise the Lord, my soul. All that is within me, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, I approach your throne
1: blameless now. I'm running home by your blood I come. Welcome to your own into your arms of
0: majesty. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who could be against us? He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. So who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardships, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from a love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating there. So she came with a jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed him and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, they said, if this man were a prophet, he would ha- know who was touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus turned to the woman and said, Your sins are forgiven. Holy I
1: approach your throne.